0: This is the Misdirected Mark podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit; you have been warned. And I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing.
1: And welcome to the thirty-fourth episode of MM Plays. Tonight we discuss prep versus play in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, I'm Jerry.
2: My name is Phil. I am Chris. Hey, it's old man Logan over
0: here. Do we have any announcements? Yeah. Yeah, the 90s was one of the best musical decades ever. Ah, oh,
3: the gauntlet <laughs> has been thrown. Good luck. We'll see if we can keep this on track. That's all. I'm done. I'm Oof. good.
0: <laughs> there was there a- might have been a heated discussion before this. I even busted out the, like, your opinion is, you know, you can have your opinion if it sucks. <laughs> feel free to join. Feel free to jump on Slack and argue for or against. Yeah, tell me, tell me what your favorite music de- decade of music we is. We should put a poll want to know about that. Yeah, we should. I don't know where. I think Slack does polls. Yeah, I think they do. It's just, there's only a limited we amount of people. We just have people just there, clock
3: right? in and just put in their, like, we just put the decades. Like, sure, sure, right? Yeah. Right? And there's little, boop, little, boop, little, boop, little
0: boop, icons boop. underneath them. Yeah. Uh, what else? You should, you should back our Patreon.
3: Sure, that's a smart that's It would be Fun. great. We would love that. Talking about getting into Slack, right? That's, yeah, that's how you get there. That's that how you is,
0: get there. I think it's four bucks. Four bucks gets you to the Slack room. Mm-hmm. Two bucks get you a shout out. Yeah. And $10 get you stuff. Stuff, I say. Stuff. stuff. I think $2 also get you get your podcast. You get after stuff a podcast for two bucks. Things. The uh, the after show, the off the cuff the that we do, the I, pandas I, talking. I might have a little something that's, that's going
3: to go into the development folder. Yeah? Like what? Uh, I wrote a script for Action Movie World called The Big Race. Oh, that's fun. Which yeah. is, uh, it is an homage to the Cannonball Run. That's very cool.
2: And I played in it, and it's glorious. Cool, when you're done with that, I'll lay it out.
3: I already oh. laid it out. Oh, you laid it out, too? I went and got all the fonts from the book. Aren't you fancy? Like, I, I couldn't bring it as a Google Doc. I actually was like, well, I, I could probably just lay this thing out myself.
0: Uh, our prototype adventure cache is done, too. That'll go in there at some point for for
3: patrons. Nice.
0: Yeah, and then the second one is already written and then been developed and edited a little bit, and I just need one more person to take a look at it, then I'll lay that out, and they can have that too.
3: I need Bob to go over the document to make sure it's okay. I, Senda went through it to make sure that Bob wouldn't uh, have a stroke, and then uh, Bob could go over it to make sure it's ready to is go out what public. Is that you do, Bob? You have a stroke uh, now when honestly, you see bad editing? you, bad you have writing? to work
2: really hard to give me a stroke in the editing process. Seems weird. Really, though. I mean. Yeah. I mean, he's
3: pretty used to me by this point. Yes. Plus, uh. Plus, Grammarly saves me from a lot of things before it even gets to Bob. Grammarly is like, "Yo, bro, drop that comma."
0: <laughs> really, the huge feature is, is if you're a patron and you're of the four dollar level and you're in the Slack room, we'll talk to you. Like I talk to, yeah. I mean, Especially when I see things, I try to talk to patrons. I like talking to patrons a lot.
3: I've been super busy at work. I've been I've been coming in late on a lot of stuff. I apologize. I've been very quiet on social media the last like three
0: weeks. I've been working on a lot of stuff, like the Streets of Avalon role playing game, the Adventure Cash. Um, a couple other games that I have in the pipeline with early development. Nice, airy cool. peaks might actually be a thing finally again.
3: The uh, the big race was my uh, little design thing for last week, and now we can talk about it after show if we get to one. Yeah, or something.
0: Well, we'll, we'll get to an after show. Let's
1: let's move on. Uh, let's move on to our main segment. Then, what are we doing tonight? Well, the interaction of prep versus play, because it's going to be important in a lot of role playing games. I mean, there are games like D and D, Traveller, things like that, that require a great deal of prep. And there's other games like, you know, one shots like everyone is John that require almost no prep at all.
0: Yeah. But for tonight, we're going to focus mainly on games where the GM does some level of prep beforehand. So we're going to move into the workshop. You ready?
3: Nope. What? And just note one other thing. Sure. This topic arises from story three from Children of the Shroud, where I had prepped a very small, compact, linear kind of story. And what played at the table wound up being many more sessions. Not that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Turned out to be not that and not in a bad way, but just when, if you wind up being interested as we, as we get towards the end of the campaign and release the actual prep, you will see the difference of what I prepared for the game versus what got played in the game. And I'm not talking about like, oh, my thing was different. Like there's just whole tracks of stuff. That's just not in my notes because you guys did. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that we're going to try to talk about in this segment as well is like it's perfectly fine. But like there was a huge gap in terms of what I wrote and what we played. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot with you guys, which <laughs> I find is a feature, not a bug. Sure. But it, it does highlight the difference between things you prep and things that happen in play that makes sense makes sense to me cool yeah. with that all right cool with that framework um i guess i'm supposed to do some definings no
2: oh workshop workshop you gotta prep you gotta play you gotta prep
3: and then you play and you prep and you play and then you gotta get it all to work and there's gonna be some prep and a whole lot of
2: play here in the workshop and don't suck oh, don't suck hey
3: you know once you do don't it only suck. like once a month <laughs> like i feel a little rusty on them but I give you guys, like, more time to
0: yourselves, and all I hear is complaints about how I guys you know, can't get into things. I mean, look, I'm not sitting in my
3: house, like, I'm not seeing my house, like, rehearsing that. Like, <laughs> that shit just happens in the moments. It's just yeah. like when you do it every week, it's different than when you do it once a month. Oh, um, I just, I, I just, every,
0: every time everybody's like, I don't know, I just feel rusty, this, that, anything, I, I could, I could crack the whip and be like, let's do it every week again, but nobody wants that. No. You, nobody no. wants that.
2: Nobody wants that.
3: No, so we'll just be a
0: little rusty. It's fine. We're professionals. Or just warm yourselves up beforehand. Just ask for it. I'm driving in the car with Bob. Workshop, workshop. It's funny because now Turn I have Turn left. Let's go get coffee. I got to back to back these, these, these uh, <laughs> sound bumpers because of the way that, that, that this thing is structured. So let's go. Let me go find the next thing because now we're moving into this.
3: Behold,
2: you are in the presence of death.
3: Yes, correct. The segment opening goes before the intro. Inch, it's segment opening intro definition. Well, well you'll notice definition It's the bumpers apart.
1: You notice definition panda is in purple. I expected Bob to kind of ad-lib something there before we got to definition panda. Sure. I'm trying not to write out full scripts. I expected Bob to it, say something it, like, you know, Hey, no, now that we're uh, going to talk about this, before it, we go into this, it, let's have a definition. It's not that. It's more about
0: the, like, It shouldn't it be workshop, and then, like, we talk about the interaction?
1: I don't know. Like, I
0: I, I just let it go, because I'm like, it's your script, Jerry. I'm just going to hey, roll, roll whatever it, it is yeah. there.
4: It worked. Let it go.
3: Did it? I don't know. What? Did, Did it go? work? I yeah. guess it works. It works. I What's think think the definition? Sure. Let's talk about prep, baby. That's another callback to the pre-show thing. Um, Prep is the work that you do before the session to be prepared to run the session. Let me say it again outside the laughter. Prep is the work that you do before the session to be prepared to run the session. It can take many forms and it's going to be influenced a lot by your GMing style, your GMing skill, uh, and that is skill level and level in different areas of GMing, the game you are playing, the group you're playing with, the genre you're playing all of that's going to have some influence on your prep prep has only one purpose to make you the GM comfortable
0: enough to run the game.
3: That is literally all prep does. If you prep the whole game and never look at it while you run the game, the prep still did its work. It is to get you to the table to run the game. Okay. Play on the other hand is what occurs at the table slash screen. If you're playing online, don't get all, Don't get all feisty. Play is what happens at the table when, from the time we come together, right? When we sit down, we take out our dice, we get our papers together, and until we adjourn for the evening, right? That's play. Play is a combination of prep from the GM, the actions and decisions the players take based on some of those prompts, and sometimes not from those prompts, Mm -hmm. uh, and the actions and reactions the GM takes from the players, Mm -hmm. goes around and around and around and around. But that is ultimately what makes up play.
0: That is our definition then. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on. so, game masters, you're often going to have to prep the world, the adventures, the NPCs that the players interact with, and that can
1: often involve a whole lot of detail. Or you could just make them up on the fly. Or you could just make them on the fly. Exactly. Because you can never really completely prep for an adventure. The GM's prep doesn't initially have the participation of the players. So you can only kind of guess and hope what they're going to do based on what you put down. Or
2: you railroad them. Yes. And or remember, no plan survives contact with the players. 100,
3: that's 100. Yeah, that's Unless you railroad. railroad
2: them. Even then.
3: <laughs> I'm just saying there are ways to mitigate that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> don't do
0: that. I don't I, know. I, uh, I'm not saying you should. Not, okay. I'm not saying you
3: should do it, but I'm going to reference, you know. 20 years ago, Phil had some ways to, to deal yeah, with this. Yeah, I used things. to do this stuff too. Yep. I just I'm
1: going to tell you the same thing that I talk about <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I teach the class for the state. We're not talking about the exceptions here. We're talking about the generality. I, I don't even know. That 20
3: years ago, it wasn't an exception. Yeah, I don't for
1: know me. if that's
0: an exception. I think there's just a lot of bad game masters do that kind of Correct. stuff. Like, right? Like, this is... When you're like, man, I played this game and it was a cool story, but I don't feel like I have to do anything.
3: Or I'm pretty sure I did exactly what the GM expected us to do.
0: Yeah, right. And, and sometimes that's okay because it felt good to do what the GM wanted to do, but sometimes it feels like, I sometimes don't know. Sometimes it
3: does feel good when you do what the GM tells you to do. It
2: does. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. That's <laughs> Some creepy. Some people <laughs> like being told what to do. Yeah.
3: Now, let me bring this around to, to the next point here, which is in this school of thought here at the Mistractive Mark table, Our general belief is there's a part of the game the GM should prep, and there's a part of the game that the GM just should leave to be more flexible.
0: Yeah, that's right. So in that situation, we often write situations,
3: not plots, even though we use the word plot a lot. We do. Because sometimes we just don't have a better word for how you describe the whole thing, so we call it a plot. But yes, I agree. Oh
1: shit, this is where the shameless plugs go, huh? Get
3: in there, Bob. Shamelessly plug. It's in purple. Hey
1: Bob, why don't you tell us about a different show on the Misdirector Mart Network? Hey, kids. Have you checked
2: out Pandas Talking Games? It's a great show. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role playing games and making outtakes, which can be hilarious. Join Pandas Phil and Senda every Wednesday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop role playing games. Get cozy and let's talk about some games. Cool beans or cool bamboo? I like my beans hot because the water ran over them and made coffee.
3: That's fair. Those are the best kind of beans.
2: Hey, maybe we should discuss some questions. Why don't we start with this one? Because this one seems like a relevant question. Uh, okay. For a game that requires some level of prep, what are some of the things you do to prepare as a GM?
3: So for me, I've done both sides of this pendulum, right? Like I have done the totally prep everything, player contingencies, three things the players might do in every scene kind of prep, and I've done none. My preference is like a 60-40, 40% 40 prep, 60% let it happen at the table kind of thing. And so for me, it's really just creating the situations which are really centered around what are the questions about this session? Will they stop the fire cane in time? Will they do this? Will they do that? And then my prep is just like, well, what is the setup to being able to ask that question? And then that's what I prep. No answers, just prepping for those questions and key dialogue because if i improvise too much dialogue i just start making shit up then sometimes it's hard for me to keep track and if i have to pass clues along i pretty much always get those into my prep because if i skip one that and i hate doing it because i used to have to do it when i was a younger gm be like oh wait wait go back and see remember when they were talking to you he also said this fucking (laughs) i fucking hate that i hate when i do it so, like, I go out of my way to write, like, the exposition shit down, so I don't do that to you guys. By the
2: way, I totally forgot to tell you this thing.
3: Right. Like, did I mention they were vampires? What? Right. Like, that's probably important right now. It seems important. Yeah.
2: Like, throw that one out there. Exactly. You knew so, they
3: were clones? And I used to do that. Like, I mean, not to you guys. That was, like, more my high school and early college days, but, oh, fuck. If I have a giant, I mean, I have a list of giant pet peeves for GMing, that is one of them. Fucking hate that one. And if it happens to anybody or it's you've done it or whatever, look, I get it too. I've done it too. Don't feel bad. I'm just saying I, I really work to avoid that one.
0: You want to hear something really bizarre? Sure. I actually have like a system for preparing for games now.
3: What, you would you mean, like come and film? No. <laughs> sort of not real yes no
0: because you, no you me. rubbed off on him a oh, little man.
3: ocd doesn't hurt anyone it's not about it's OCD. a lot it's,
0: of ocd it's a lot of ocd i'm not like like i'm not like you i don't have like gadgets and tech and gizmos and a bunch of stuff and a template and
2: things like that you down with ocd that's not yeah you know yeah, me. yeah you know
0: phil <clears throat> you know like i care about storytelling so like i'm like a writer right like sure i trained as a writer and i've written written a lot of stuff especially like story based stuff. So like, I think about this stuff as I guess a writer would think about this stuff in some ways. So like my campaigns tend to have themes to them. Like there are overarching themes. So the first thing I think of is like, cool, what's the theme? And I'd probably write it down near the top or something like that. That's actually an old Sean Merwin trick. Like a mission statement. I actually learned a lot of this stuff from Sean Merwin. So this is actually, you want to hear how this worked. It's Sean Merwin plus never unprepared. The book that taught me these, these methodologies, by the way, go buy never unprepared. It's a great book Fantastic for prep. For, for learning how to get prep the way you want to prep that's fair like that's what it does it's life hacking for prep mm-hmm. so like i write this the theme down at the top then i'm like cool what is the story that fits inside of this theme like mm-hmm. it, it, whatever the current like story arc or session is and i and i i'm a big anime guy so like a lot of my stuff fits in anime story arcs which you know if you want to for those who are not anime fans like comic book story arcs our story arcs, like like that, that adventure, that those adventures that go together that create that story arc. So I figure out what the story is. I'm like, cool. And that's kind of the where the situation, the story, this is where you get your what's going on document, right? Yep. And then I'm like, cool, what is the best framework or sets of frameworks that go together to make this work best at the table? Once I do that, then I'm just like, cool, what are the NPCs that I need for this particular story arc? And by the way, this isn't for one session of prep. <laughs> this is for like usually when I do this I have stuff for for like weeks like like weeks and weeks of games when I'm done with this I cobble together the NPCs that I require and I usually use do the the Jason Cordova method now Because I like it so much which is like what is their name? What is their role then and then and this is some of mine too. like the the want the need that's a writer thing like what do they want? What do they need? And then like three descriptors about them, and then maybe a quote so I can get their voice in my head. Like I like doing that if I have the time to do it. See I, Chris's article on them, too. Yep. If I in don't,
3: fa- in fact, I actually just borrowed your framework mm-hmm. to make the NPCs for aux this week. Oh, nice. Yeah. Thank you. That was good
0: because it really helps me figure out what their voices sound like, so that I can you know portray them at the table. And then I will put together some locations that I that I require, uh, fill out whatever the framework is if I haven't done that yet. And if there's any special mechanics that I need for that particular game, I will uh, I will put them into the game, and hopefully I don't
3: need to do all that. So I find this really interesting because you and I have like really kind of different approaches to this. I prep the campaign arc like in a really just in time. Like I throw things out there and I don't answer them for a while. Like I don't get into the details. Like for OX, like I, I really had almost no idea like mm-hmm. where we were going on that. I just started laying tracks out until it started to look like something for children to shroud. It's a little more deliberate, but only because I stumbled onto something in the first session when I was writing the what's going on document for the first session, I like stumbled onto a bunch of shit and was like, Oh, I guess that'll be the campaign framework. But then again, like I didn't lay out how that's going to go. And I guess I, I just don't because I let you guys steer a whole ton of shit, right? Like, I let you guys just kind of make shit up, and then I'm like, cool, I'll make that for you. So I'm...
0: My Legacy the Archmage campaign is, like, the best example of this. There is four items that they have to go get. Sure. So, like, where are the four items? All right, this one's over here, this one's over here, this one's over here, this one's over here. And I just sort of can build around that. And some of that is I include the player characters. For instance, Bob's character, Candor. he's the prince of a country. He Mm -hmm. built his country together. So, like, they go there, because that's where one of the items is Mm -hmm. near, and there's, like, a war being fought. And, like, I know who the factions are in the war, and I know what's going on, but I hadn't built the framework for those adventures until they went there. Yeah. So, like, I had the high-level thing, like you're talking about, and then once they decided they were going there, I built out the rest of the stuff.
3: Yeah, I think I I definitely do a lot of that, right? I do a lot of, like, just-in-time campaign prep.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just-in-time for me, too,
3: in some ways, because it's
0: just just just-in-time, right? Like, I I don't build it until they go there and they're going to
3: interact with it. I think the other piece is I often don't commit to a campaign until the fourth session. Oh, no, I commit to them early on because I I want to know. Yeah, I, I... I have grand ideas, so. Yeah, I go, like, four sessions, and I'm like, oh, is this going to stick? Cool, I think I'll start sticking in a plot.
2: <laughs> like,
3: I think I'll start, like, I think now I'll start working on what might be the, the bad guy, but that's true, Dude, because man, I. pilots are important to me,
0: like, that first, that first session needs to, like, do some work to, like, set everything else up.
3: Uh, for me, it isn't a setup thing. For me, that first session has to prove that I should invest more time in this game. Interesting. Like. I mean, we're playing D&D. I already know that I'm going to play the game. Sure. I mean, I rarely play the same game twice, mm-hmm. right? So for me, those first couple sessions are proof, like, you all like this game. I like running this game. I think your characters and are or are not interesting. And then if all of those things check those boxes, then I'm like, okay, let's commit. Otherwise, let's chican this thing and go find something else to play. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I think of the number of times I've run something twice. This is pretty slim. Mm-hmm. is like, not a lot. I'm kind of like a like just a one way train. Yeah, man. You just play game after game
0: after game, except yeah. the fact that you're playing three different Cortex games <laughs> right now.
3: Yes, but when I'm done with them, how long will it be before I ever play another Cortex game? Probably never. Correct. Like maybe that's the thing. Anyway, not to drift off too far off topic. Let everybody else have a moment. But I just find it interesting because I I like your approach. It's just very different from yeah. It's very different from how I, like, approach games. I would actually guess
0: that a lot of people are probably prepping similarly to, in some variation, similar to what we're
3: talking about. Sure. I, I actually think probably people are prepping a little bit more like you, like, a little more committed to it than... Well, yeah, I commit to campaigns before you do. Yeah, I mean, I am I love campaigns. I just don't know if this one's going to be it or not.
0: Oh, so I guess to, I mean, since they already know all this, like, the Archmage's Legacy, like, there's four items. There's a bracelet, a staff, a a helmet, and a, uh, and a prism. The prism, and they get in the first session. Sure. The helmet, they find out about a little bit later after they, like, get introduced to the world. And that's near Bob's thing. So then they go there, and I design the adventure around that. Then they find out about the staff, which is in space. Sure. So, spell jammer. Spell jammer. And then, once they're like, yep, we're going to go on the plane, then I just build out the spell jammer sure. par- parts. And then... The bracelet is with the really terrible dragon. So I actually don't have that built out yet because I don't know how it's going to go.
3: Like, do you know what the very
0: terrible dragon is? I mean, they all know who the very terrible dragon is. He's been introduced since, like, session, like, two.
3: Yeah, like, a lot of He's times... He's already like, killed me once. Yeah, like, a lot of times <laughs> yeah. I don't... Technically. <laughs> a lot of times I don't even completely know the... Oh, yeah, I mean, I I know all the moving pieces. I just don't know the details. Like, I know roughly what the big thing is in Children of the Shroud, but mm-hmm. I don't know how any of that manifests yet.
0: I am doing the thing where like, oh, they're over here, but they're gonna hit here eventually. It's just yeah. how
3: do they get there? Yeah. I,
0: I then our approach isn't too and far off the, on that it's one. It's the top of the conspiracy, really. They're just sure. aiming at every every section is like that. Like, so sure,
3: it's hard to shake that uh, construct. Yeah. I, I will I will ask you another question though. Do you have a name for that kind of campaign framework? No, but I will figure it out now that you ask me. Okay. I say that because um because it one it's a pretty popular framework and i say it's pretty popular because i can remember all the way back to being in middle school the both of the gi joe one week specials yeah are essentially that framework like the joes have to go get like these you know things from all around the globe and they engage cobra in a a bunch of different places
0: It's the mcguffin hunt man yeah that's that's what it's like multiple like it's it's the mcguffin hunt jerry
3: it's like multiple MacGuffins, like in different backdrops. Jerry
0: just, Jerry just nodded his head at me. Just, just throw that out there. Yes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> just, try, I'm trying not to go.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yep. And go. So but when I ask you a question, you can answer. <laughs> okay. I've been very good about that. You this, have been very last, good about this. Rules of challenge. Last, last, last podcast. Not so much. <laughs> 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 I caught myself on that one. You also have to understand. Like I don't think I've seen all of those GI Joe cartoons because, uh, like Transformers, was not something I watched. Yeah, but you saw you you know what a MacGuffin hunt is. Oh, I know what a MacGuffin yeah. hunt is. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. essentially what we're talking about. Yeah. The MacGuffin hunt. Yeah,
0: but well, like yeah. I remember as a kid, like assemble the three stones of power to have the bigger stone of power to overcome yeah, the evil,
1: the, the mad evil. of
3: seven. The rod of seven the parts. parts
1: so, the... Okay, so here's a question about MacGuffin. For me, I've always heard the MacGuffin was just a unknown, unnecessary item that was just out there. Where in the G.I. Joe cartoons, I knew at least one of them was the Weather Dominator. The Weather Dominator. That actually had a, like, there were known pieces, and if it got together, there was a very specific thing that would happen. It wasn't just this random item, we don't know what we're doing with it. Does sure. Does that make it a MacGuffin or not?
0: Uh, I, I'd, I'd have to actually look up the actual definition of I, MacGuffin, but I thought MacGuffin was any item that is, like, important to the plot, but, you know, not necessarily like something, I don't know.
1: I always thought that, a, that the MacGuffin was just kind of a thing, like the the, the, the biggest MacGuffin of modern culture would be the suitcase in Pulp Fiction.
0: Sure. You have sure.
1: no idea what's in it. You the, have no idea what it's for. The
0: ring from The Lord of the Rings is a MacGuffin. An object, oh, it does
1: things.
3: An object or device in a movie or book that serves merely as the trigger for the plot.
0: Yeah. The ring in The Lord of the Rings is, is a MacGuffin. Absolutely. Yeah. The fact
3: that it does stuff is yeah, like...
1: Th- th- that's just a bonus. Read that description again. Sure.
3: Uh, an object or device in a movie or book that serves merely as a trigger for the plot,
1: merely as a trigger for the plot, as opposed to actually having something that it does in the movie. No, I mean, it's, I think that's a that's little the question. Too, it's uh, I
3: think I mean, it's, I think it's sitting too, I mean, I get what you're saying, but it's like from Pulp Fiction, sure. Merely is the, is the emphasized word.
1: I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, that you guys are wrong. I'm saying that's what I've always been told when I was in school, yeah. that the MacGuffin doesn't have any other purpose except to drive the plot. If it has any other purpose in the story, then it's on a MacGuffin. That's but, what I was taught. Well, then but what, what is it? Then define it. Then it's a plot device.
3: What is the purpose of the ring? Without throwing it in the mountain,
1: because if he gets it, he can use it to control. Well, well, that th- th- that is a MacGuffin because I've always thought the One Ring was kind of a sketchy, sure, sketchy item. I'm not saying the wrong. I'm saying the weather dominator though. Like there was a definite like if you get the weather dominator put together, you can dominate weather.
3: Sure, but it's Which not. But it that's not, not the. But that's not the thing that they go after. The weather dominator required four different components mm-hmm. that they had to chase around the globe. Those things are the
1: MacGuffins. I'm not saying it's not a MacGuffin. I'm just saying that's why when Chris asked me, if I come, I'm like, mm, yeah, maybe.
3: Yeah. I think the idea is that it draws in like, it's the thing that makes you like
1: do the thing. Yes. Yeah. Which is fine. For our definition, that's perfectly fine. Yeah.
3: Anyway, we drifted
2: viciously off topic, Bob. Hey man, <laughs> sometimes I got to let you guys go. There was
1: some meat there, but we should hear from Jerry. Yes. When I prep these days, and I be honest, I haven't prepped a game in two years now. I tend to start with a, with some sort of a, an outline for what I want to have happen in the next session. Character names, situations. I like to have possible resolutions. I don't like having a problem that I that at least I don't have an idea of what could be the resolution. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the resolution, sure, but that helps me in case the players don't have an idea of where they want to go, of what clues I would toss in as motivations for things that are going on there. And if I'm gonna have Important characters, like if the players are going to go to a fancy party, I'm going to have the names of all the people they, that they might talk to, a few simple details about them, their name, their role, what their role is in the story. I like the idea of Chris's idea of having given them a quote as well. Um, just it's not my idea. That's Jason Cordova. Jason Cordova's idea of giving them a quote as well, I'm doing something on that line. I think he said it was somebody else's idea before that too. So <laughs> right. you know, They're great minds think alike. I don't expect my stories to ever survive contact with the players. Hmm. They're going to go off base. They're going to decide to blow up the building instead of having somebody else take it from them. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) If we just shoot the prince, nobody can kidnap. him. Accurate. So, Bob?
2: Yeah, back in the day when I used to GM, I would prep way too much crap. Especially when I was doing 4E, because then I had, like, table accoutrement.
3: Well, I mean, I think that's an important piece to consider, right? If you have table props, maps, minis those kinds of things that is also an additional piece of prep that you have to contend with for sure when we started talking about cyberpunk red right cyberpunk red has a tabletop map component to it right you can get it on vtt or you can put maps on the table and put little you know folks out on it and i was like no because i don't want to do the extra work yep i don't want to have to sit and now do the searching through the map library because I can't find quite the corporate office that I wanted for this floor plan. Yeah. Because that's now fucking time I got to spend going through mm-hmm. like drive through or like some map pack that I have that I bought like 10 years ago. It, like, it's too much, which is also the reason I don't like VTTs, right? Like, I mean, I like playing online, but like, I, like I don't love putting maps down.
1: Oh, when I, when I was running, Savage Eberron for Chris and Schmidt and Bridget. Like, the prep for that was ridiculous because I had to take everything that I would just normally have for a game and put it into VTT and then find tokens. Yes. It was a pain in the ass.
3: It adds like an, adds like an extra layer of prep. And if I had more time, mm-hmm. sure, maybe it wouldn't bother me. But I, you know, for the time I have, I, like, prefer just write some, like, I'd prefer to write, like, story down.
1: I think the scope of games also makes a difference because um, one of the things we always talked about in Traveler was that Traveler you had... Like, it was fairly easy in Traveler or in a game like Edge of the Empire to simply go to another planet. And yeah. if you think the players are going to go to Planet X and they decide they're going to go to Planet Z, that's not the same as like, okay, we go to a new town. They're going to a different planet.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: This gets us to a previous episode where we talked about jumping the plot. Mm-hmm. But it also gets us to the difference between prep and play. That's a thing you can definitely run into, especially Mm -hmm. if you're not, if you don't have good communication with your players, you could on your, you know, downtime, you could be like making the system and I got it all ready. And then you start talking to the players and they're like, no, let's go back and see like, you know, so-and-so back on, you know, planet Zaris or whatever. And you're like, or it's not even Zaris, right? Because that way you would have prepped, right? It's like some new planet. You're like, okay, I don't have that. Hopefully you have a link to the traveler system generator so that you could just in a push of a button quick whip up a new system and be like okay great you go to the Zara system let me tell you about it right and
1: <laughs> computer link i was already traveling in the 70s well, that's what i'm saying right like
3: <laughs> right in those i mean in those days you're
1: gonna have to take more drastic measures yes you did yeah i think the game makes a difference too. you some games require different kinds of prep
3: absolutely 100 percent. like i said in the definition right it's game will influence your
1: prep my basic thought was Because of that, you always need to think about that when you're prepping for your Mm game—is what's going to happen, where the player is going to go, and also talk to your players about it.
3: And I will say, for as much as I say I create situations, not solutions, I definitely years ago Jerry did the same thing. I would always write the most like likely solution, and the only reason I took it out was I caught myself telegraphing it. I I caught myself asking questions to the players about the most likely solution. I was like shit, I can't trust myself not to telegraph it at the table, so I just took them out and was like, nope. If I give any kind of NPC hints or something, they're literally in the moment. Like, I'm playing along with you kind of things.
1: That's a good thing. Cool.
0: All right, because I needed to know. I needed to know. Jerry is right. Like, the the strict definition of MacGuffin is that. So if it is just useful for the plot and no other reason, it's a MacGuffin. But a MacGuffin is a type of plot device, and there are like 18 of them. So we can't use that terminology for other items. The kind of items that we're talking about, though, are plot coupons, as defined by TV Tropes, which are items that will help move the plot forward, regardless of whether they're useful or not. Ah, so good okay. old TV Tropes. Coupons. Rescue. Good nice. Plot coupons. Good I had to go find it.
3: When in doubt, TV Tropes will... Uh... A thing that a character
0: needs to obtain in order to cash it in later for a plot resolution. Sure, there you go. That's great. That's what we were looking for.
1: Shit, I, w- I was looking for that, like we, we were talking about this weeks ago. Where the pl- character has a bunch of items, and the plot isn't over until all of those items get used. Coupon. That's, sure, that's as, as, they,
0: as long as they're cashing them in, in later for the plot resolution, yes. Yes,
1: yes. That the plot can't, yeah. The plot doesn't get resolved until all those items are actually used.
0: Yeah. They, I mean, that is, that is a storytelling technique that I don't know the name of that I have to go find, because you've mentioned it, and I'm like, fuck, I can't remember what the name of it is. <laughs> I know it's a thing, yes. yeah. but there, so we're talking about plot coupons,
1: essentially.
3: Yeah, I've done, I've done plot coupon stories where it's like, oh, this portal open unless you can find these five things throughout the realms and bring them back and put them in the cauldron or something.
1: When I ran Pathfinder Shadow in the Sky, I opened the story because the players were all in town because they'd all been hired to find the missing Dr. McGuffin. And I told that, them what we were doing.
0: That's the, that's the gotta catch them all story.
1: That's nope. what it's called. I love it. <laughs> gotta gotta catch, catch them all. Them all. Yeah,
0: it's the most basic form of plot gotta coupon. There are several something all. spread far and wide and the cast is, has to go find them. That's great. There
3: you go. Got to catch them all live. All right,
2: we should probably loop on to the next question, Feel which brief. we need some clarification from you, Jerry, because you wrote this question. The question you wrote is, what sort of
1: things can you do as a player? For a game that requires some level of prep, what are some things you can do as a player to help the GM? Okay, to help the GM. This is following up on the previous question. I probably should have spelled that out better.
2: So, as a, diff- as a player... it feels like the same is question. Is the difference as the third question? The third question. What are
0: some ways you as a player can interact with the prep to make the game better?
2: It feels like the same
1: question. They're kind of the same question in different ways. Well, we'll just say them both at the same time then. There you go. There you go. I'll start this because with this last question, I thought if you're a player, like explore the world, the GM has prepped it, get in there, interact with the world, take the hooks, ask questions of the NPCs, interact with the world because if the GM is prepping, the more you interact with the world they're creating, it's often easier for them to either keep improvising or to take the prep they have and implement it in the game in such a way that you don't end up going off-story because you've given them things to interact with. If you don't interact with the game, and this is what happens with me and Chris's game, my character for many times, I'm just like, watch, I'm waiting for things to happen. I wasn't interacting with his game enough, and it made it tougher for him to drag certain plot hooks out because I wasn't interacting with the game I also was getting my plot hooks rejected. Sure.
2: Yeah.
1: I didn't know there were plot hooks, so. If I say
0: that your granddaughter shows up, then do something with your granddaughter. And so they'd be like, oh, you're good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So what Jerry said, uh, I agree with pretty much right along that you interact with the prep that the GM has given because you're going to give them something else by interacting. If they've got NPCs in a scene mm-hmm. and you start talking to the NPCs, mm-hmm. then something's going to come of that. Or if you interact with, somebody that they didn't put in the scene, it gives them a clue. You're in the bar, and he describes a bunch of people, and it's like, yeah, but I'm going to go over and talk to the barmaid, who he didn't mention. That says something. And then you see where that goes.
3: So riddle me this, Batman. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am Maybe Chris and I are too. about to have the same question. Go riddle ahead. me this. Based on your statement, how do you know what I've prepped? I don't. That's no true. no idea. I mean, how do you know, like when you're saying like interact with what the GM's prepped. Well, I mean, let's tease it apart and actually get to the core of it because you probably don't know what I've prepped.
1: That is true. Okay, good. I said explore the world. So sure. if you start exploring the world, the GM will put certain things in front of you. If they've prepped them, some things will be there and those are the things you can start to interact with. So if you say, I'm going to, I'm going to walk down the street. What kind of shops here? What's interesting to look at in this city? If the GM wants you to go to the clock tower, they'll mention the clock tower two or three times. Then you're like, oh, the GM's mentioned the clock tower two or three times. Maybe I should go look at the clock tower.
3: I guess if the GM puts out breadcrumbs, you should follow breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. But I'm the kind of jerk that will turn around and be like, well, what are you looking at in the city?
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, which, which is also fine. Yeah. There's nothing well, wrong with that. You
2: have to answer the GM when they do that, though. Yeah. Like, you, you got to be like, okay, yeah. I'm looking for i'm gonna one-up you on that
3: you do have to answer the gm you need to answer the gm interestingly and by interestingly i mean if it's not advancing the plot it's building into your character what am i doing in the city you know what i'm gonna go look at gift stores because i mean to get my granddaughter a gift before we leave this city cool now the gm could be like oh that's a thing you do, and now we're tying in your granddaughter, we're tying in something about you buying presents for your granddaughter, that kind of thing.
0: So the thing that you can actually do as a player to, to be good about this is, one, practice your listening skills, so you're actually listening to the Game Master, two, be proactive and interacting with the things that the Game Master has presented, which has already been stated, three, before the game even fucking starts, tell them the stuff that you actually want to do inside of the structures that have been presented already at this point. Yeah. You know, we talked about that in Session Zero, but I mean, yes, yeah, Session Zero is important. I am always in Phil's ear telling him what I'm doing. Like, yeah. this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is how can I make this work inside of the thing that you're giving me? Does this work inside the thing that you're giving me? I am doing that all the time. By the way, Jerry, that's the thing that you should be doing all the time with me so that I can actually
1: fit you inside the game. I, I will also so that say... That falls back on the I don't know what my character is till session four. That, so, yeah. That, also, as a player, which figure out how to fucking get to the
0: point where you know who you are at session one. Yeah.
3: I, I will say this, right? Jerry, the technique I use for that is what I know about my character in session one and what I know about my character in session ten are very different. In Dungeon World, Corin had a session one motivation to get into the dungeon. But partway into the adventure, I was like, I think it's time to actually now grow this character out. This motivation was good to get started and it made for good role play. But also now that I have a better feel for Chris's world, for my character and for what's mm-hmm. going on. I'm going to now change up. I'm going to go dynamic.
0: This is the point where I am very, I'm going to just jump all over yeah. you here. I, I am very different in, than, than most people that I think that play role-playing games, where it's like, I want to know who my character is right away so that I can actually have a compelling story going through this
3: thing right from the jump. Sure. Because I am bored as shit if I don't. I mean, my goal is to get good enough to interact in the first game and figure the rest out as we start to play.
0: It makes me feel weird sometimes because I don't like to come off having like main character syndrome as a player, but I often come to the table with way more than w- without being overwhelming, but way more than everybody else generally has
3: when I get there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. And it's a handful. Is it really? <laughs> it's, a handful? It's part of being a storyteller. Well, it just yeah. means it's stuff I have to work in right away. Right. Like I'm juggling all the stuff, usually a new game, a new system, trying a new setting, and trying to, like, it, like, work in Chris's, like, story arc from day one, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be a bit... All I'm doing is begging people to do that with me. Sure. I just
0: wish people would give me that stuff. Sure.
3: No, I get it. It would just be so much easier to construct a game around that. Sure. And I think the challenge with that is, if I'm playing something I've played before and I can really, like, nestle into some idea that, like, oh, I've played this game before, now I want to try this kind of character, this kind of story, this kind of tale... I think that's one thing I find because anytime somebody runs a game for me, it's almost something I've never played before. Mm -hmm. I am like, well, I'm still trying to figure out this game. Like, I don't even know if any of the ideas I have fit in this world. I don't know if they fit in the world. I don't know if they're going to fit in with what the GM already has planned for a story. But I do know that I can't show up to the table without being in my character's head. So I very quickly construct a facade. A simple motivation, a simple, ex, you know, like who this character is that gets me into the first session. Mm-hmm. And then as things start to unfold, I will look for how do I plug myself in? So like in your, like for instance, your Archmage one, the second I start to understand that this is going to be about collecting stuff or whatever, I'm going to start thinking for my character. That's like, not what it's about though. It's about legacy. Okay, cool. But like once I understand as you've explained, like started to explain it, and if you've explained it in session zero... I can actually do some of that work which before I, the table. Which I do. Sure. I can do some of that work before I get to the table. But, like, for public access, mm-hmm. I kind of knew a couple things about my character, and I, like, wrote them down. That game breaks a convention, though, where it's, sure. we don't care about your backstory because your backstory's going to come out as we play. Yeah, but I actually had to put a bit more backstory into it. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, I was like, oh, no, I'm this, like... I'm this, you know,
1: programmer. Like, my problem is I've forgotten what my backstory is. Sure. Like access, we talked about it I don't know where it is. My,
3: my point about, okay,
1: <laughs> finish your thought
0: before I start talking about public access because I have a, a, two other things to say sure. about two other games.
1: No,
3: I guess, I guess my point is like for me, and I'm just going to say for me, I need enough background to have some reasonable idea for how to make my character act. Mm-hmm. And so my initial goal when I make my character is to scratch down enough of that info to get me into the game and then I kind of watch what's happening. And then I say, like, okay, well, how do I expand on this to also meet what's being presented? Which is just me, right? That's just that's my style of play, which is why I'm also not a player very often. So public access has this interesting thing where it doesn't
0: care about your backstory mm-hmm. and it doesn't want you to have one because it wants you to bring it out during play. So it doesn't sure. so you can actually not have a thought or have very little thought mm-hmm. going into that game. And Just let a session or two pass before you really start figuring out who you are The game actually is structured in a way to provide that yeah, that makes sense now Let's talk about ox real quick. Sure. We did that whole thing where we figured out who these characters were Based on that that background that we played a game to create backgrounds So I had no idea who Tam was until we did that I'm like oh because of all these things that happened I am untrusting. Yeah and I have issues. And then we got into the whole thing with Keoli, who is the the woman that I had proposed to and who she rejected me. We worked together on like the police force on that planet. And it just made me an, a pretty bitter person. Yeah. I didn't come with that. The game created that. I let the game dictate to me what the character was going to be. And then I fit myself around it. Yeah, I buy that. When it came to Children of the Shroud, you came up with the setting. Yeah. When I came... With an anime idea, I'm like, is this okay? Sure. Frozen soul is not my own. My dead girlfriend's soul is inside my, my body.
2: Sure, I mean, foolish to say no. And that piece right there, I think, is the key. You asked him if Correct. it was okay. If you have doubts, if you're like, hmm, I kind of have an idea, but I don't know if it's going to fit in the setting that the GM has put together. And this was after we Conversation. Did, yeah,
0: and this was after we did the uh, the session the session where we figured out what the game was going to be. Right. Because mm-hmm. once we figured out the game was going to be, I'm like... I'm going to give him the most anime story trope kind of things that I can <laughs> give him. Yeah. So like I did that and I'm like, cool. Me and my dad are kind of on the outs because I'm, I wasn't magical until much, much later mm-hmm. because my girlfriend gave me that entered that, that power. So I was like a uh, almost normal kid. Yeah. So I fit myself in that case of that game inside of the genre that we were playing. And then eventually refined it after I saw the document that Phil gave. So as a player, I fit the genre. I asked if this was okay. And I read all of the documentation that he had written, like three and a half thousand words of background information and was like, there's a thing missing. I actually said that, like, there's a thing missing about human houses. Mm -hmm. And then once you did that, I'm like, cool, I'll meet in here. So as a player, I am there. There are three different ways that that came out is what I'm saying right here. There are three different ways these characters came out. Uh, These three were like the characters from public access and these two different characters I'm talking about. So, you have to pay attention. You can't just come with one approach. You have to be willing to be flexible, and you have to be willing to talk about things. And, like, we were playing a space game, and I don't want to be an alien, because I don't like playing aliens.
3: I like playing humans. I just do. Yes. So, we kind of roundabout made humans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for Children of the Shroud, I didn't actually know what the campaign was going to be Mm -hmm. until I was sitting down to write the first session, which even the first session was um, handed to me. Yep. Right. Cause Bob was like, I would like to have an emerging power story. And I was like, okay, great. But none of Bob's character makes sense with anything that we had written in the background. Right. He should have manifested earlier. Yep. Why didn't he manifest? So then I was like, well, internally I got to start answering some questions here. Yeah. Which then all of a sudden I was like, Oh shit. And stumbled onto something. And then I was like, Oh shit! And like pulled your piece like along with it, and I was like, "Oh well, there's the whole fucking campaign." Yeah, because <laughs> like because because,
0: uh, pattern matching, right? Yeah. But when you talk about how to help the game master, uh, oh like good, prep, bring it back around. Yeah, when you talk about how to help the game master prep their stuff, these are the things you can do as a player to really help them get a bunch of ideas generated to help them put things together.
3: Yeah, I would say toss things out, but wait for the GM. Yeah, to man, Tell be, you it's it's cool yeah, before be you commit
0: right? Like that is really a great way to help. And and when you get to the stars and wishes, if you do stars and wishes with, like between games, like same thing, get in your game master's ear and tell them what you thought was good, what was bad and what you'd like to see in the future and ask them what you can do to help them make the game better. I I think that is missed out a a lot. Mm -hmm. Those are great course corrections for when camp for campaigns, when you like, Mm -hmm. you think
3: everything's going all gay, but you could be wrong. Well, you guys came to me. So going back to ox, I threw a thing out to see if it would stick to the wall. I threw out this, um, alien species that were on the verge of Ascension, but they were terrible, right? They were like Mm -hmm. fascists. And, um, I thought it would be kind of an interesting storyline. And the potential in my head was, this is potentially going to be the lead into act three. And then you guys came to me, I think it was Chris who came, might've come to me between games and Mm -hmm. was like, I hate these. I hate the species. I'm not even interested in the storyline. And I was like, okay, let's wrap this thing up. Like, Let's get out of Talmar in space. Let's put a bow on this thing and let's move on to something you actually will enjoy.
0: And I said, I have no problem playing through it and I will just fade my character to being a secondary character in a more supporting role.
3: Well, you gave me enough room for us to get out of there. I wasn't going to be like, oh, Chris, I'm sorry you don't like this. I'm committed to running this for Act Three, so you're fucked.
0: No, I mean, if that was a thing, we would have played that and it would have been fine. I would have felt bad for that.
3: And that's just me. That's me as a GM, right? That's my preference is. If you guys aren't having a good time, I'm not having a good time. Sure. So, when you were like, I'm not interested in the Talmarins, I also don't hold things too tightly.
0: Yeah, so that, that the Game Masters don't hold things too tightly. Players, be flexible. Like, yep. we'll, yeah. And, and don't be afraid to talk. Like, we joke around that I am the Jamie Tart because I'm kind of a prima donna. I'm, I don't really think of myself as being like a prima donna. I think of myself as trying to like find the best possible game for everybody to play together that I can.
3: Don't play to you. Play through you.
0: Sure. Right. Or play
1: Please, through everybody. Definitely right? the Jamie Tart.
0: That's a <laughs> yeah. That is totally a Jamie Tart. But you're thing. right. Does
1: that mean Bob wants to tie strings to all of our balls? No.
0: It's the other reason why in games, like I'm also like in the players as a character, like talking to the other characters all the time too, because mm-hmm. I'm trying to build cohesion
2: and story. Draw stuff out from those other characters. C- correct.
0: It's why I didn't trust Gree, because Gree tried to kill me a couple of times accidentally, and I don't <laughs> trust anybody anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> sure. Didn't help. No, no, no. Let's rephrase that. Gree almost accidentally killed you. He wasn't trying to kill you. There's yeah, a difference.
0: Yeah, that's his, fair. His that's intent fair. was More always sense. to
1: help you, never to kill you. You were,
0: you were correct. From from the outsider view, yes. The audience view, <laughs> yes. From Tan's view, no.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> no. we've already kind of dipped into the next question with cool. some of the stuff you were talking about, is things the players can do to help the GM prep.
3: Yeah, that. All uh, of that stuff. All of that talking. stuff. I will say the thing I do, and I think you guys all know this, I do it at the end of every game. What do you guys want to do next session? That is how I prep. If you guys say to me, we want to go fuck these guys up or we want to go and find a thing so that we can basically want to do a side quest to get like something that's going to help us mess up, you know, these bad guys. Then I'm like, well, cool, I'll get to work on that. Right. Like I'm going to go put that together and make something happen there. Like that for me is a great way to start prep. Otherwise I got to start from like an empty slate, right? I got to be like, okay, well I'm going to do what I'm going to do, which is okay. But if you guys tell me at the end of the session, And this is kind of like stars and wishes, but if you tell me what you want to do next session. That's a wish. That's totally wishes. Yeah. 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 So I like to, like, I write those down and then that's, I put those directly into my what's going on document and Mm -hmm. start from there. And then I build, I build up from that. Okay. Well, if they want to do this thing, how do I make it interesting? What kind of questions do I ask? Et cetera, et cetera. But I, and I depend on that. I don't like just coming up with it on my own.
2: Tell them what you want, what you really, really want.
3: I want to say oh. the Spice Girls the method. Zig-a-zig. The Spice oh. Girls method of of uh, end of session prep. I got that one. Yeah, there you go. From the <laughs> 90s, Jerry. Yes. <laughs> you got to love a good, good callback.
0: That's uh, called incorporation. Let's, let's move on to the next the <laughs> la- next, and probably the last question because it's all we got time for.
2: Yeah. So, what do you do when the players interact with the game in a way that the GM
1: did not prep for? You can go first, Jerry. It's what Phil did tell them you're not ready. Basically, like, if they do something you're not ready, to prep for, just tell them, hey, listen, I'm not prepared for that. Either take a break, let everybody go out and get some pizza or something while you write the next segment, or just say that's it for this week's session and go do something else. I've 100% done that yeah. mm-hmm. or, at least once. Or if necessary, you can run a side plot for a while. Tell me, can we table that adventure for a week so I can write it? And in the meantime, here's something else you guys can do.
0: Chris, what's the other thing? i just improvise something else
1: no yeah. you
3: said it the other week when we were talking about this which thing you can just simply say i wasn't expecting you oh, guys oh yeah to you can just can you no, just man. go do the other can yeah, you just, just go, go do the other thing, thing. i also yeah. will just will
0: just create a whole thing from cloth too so oh, i mean there's that also
3: if you possess like and i'm saying this right like i know yeah, you do, you, I, if, do if if you, I do if you
0: have the if you can possess that if you possess that ability to do that then you, you should do that. that yeah you don't even have to but if you can and you want to you should do it if you're prepping for a session that means you probably have like What's going on, documents and campaign documents and things like that, and like and meta plot
1: stuff going on in the background, which means you can just pivot if you have the skill, just pivot. Exactly. And one of the things that's going to help you is look at what the resources are that your game has available. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When I was running Edge of the Empire, one of the things they had is they had like six packs of NPC cards that were just separated by different. So if the players suddenly decided to go in a different direction, I suddenly needed NPCs right now. I just pull one of these things out and start with that. Sure. And that gave me some stall time to work on the next thing. While they were busy interacting with that, I could work on the next thing. Mm-hmm. But having tools like that ahead of time, which I guess is technically some sort of prep, but a lot of games out there, D and D pathfinder, savage world have all sorts of resources available mm-hmm. that if you're a GM who can do a little bit of improvisation or don't have the improvisational skills, you can still get some things that are ready for whatever you're going to be doing next.
3: Yeah. I mean, to be clear, I highly recommend that GMs work on their improv skills, right? Mm -hmm. As a person who didn't like to improv back in the day and a person who basically studied Chris until I could learn to do it myself and then did it for a while, like it's a huge benefit. It's like a huge tool to have in your toolbox. Like it allows you to do that pivot with some grace, right? You can just be like, well, I wasn't expecting that, but you know what? Okay, let's roll. Like, let's do it. And then after the session, I'll go clean up whatever plot lines and continuity I got to fix up after this. But sure, let's do it. Let's rock and roll.
0: I strangely learned my improvisational skills by watching improv actors game master games. Yeah. What Karen Twelve's book, uh, Improv for Gamers. Great. You just pick that up. Read so it.
3: That's, I mean, so that resource, you know, that resource exists now. My improv for gamers was Chris.
0: Sure. Uh, Play Unsafe. Another great book for that. Yeah. If, you're, if you want to learn those skills. Also, you could just go watch the internet, because, like, I mean, go get Dropout and watch Brendan Lee Mulligan. Ah, it's a glorious time. And when I say watch these, these Game Masters online do their thing, don't just watch them. Try to understand what they're doing and the choices that they're making. This is the difference between enjoying something for entertainment and trying to learn a thing from it. Ask yourself the question all the time, like, why did they make that choice? What were they thinking? Why do you think they did what they did? And not every actual play online is, like, edited. So, like, you can just really figure out what they were trying to do in that moment.
3: I was very fortunate when I learned from you, I would just ask you like after a session, I'm like, okay, you made up that part, right? Yeah. Like I would be like that part you figured out earlier. Right. And like, I would just ask you and be able to just kind of figure out like, okay, he had this, he made up that. And then I would just, and I, and I was fortunate because I would just ask you the like, okay, you pulled back this other piece. Like I would just be paying attention to what you were doing and just, you know, ask, I bombarded you with questions Mm -hmm. about it for a while.
0: It's improv rules for the most part. Long-form improv
3: storytelling rules. Yep. And then you got to go do it. That's the other part. Practice makes perfect. Like, and if you're, and you you got to just jump in and swim.
1: And if you're a player, take some notes. You don't have to take meticulous notes, but take some notes that when the GM does drop a name, drop a location, drop something, if you take a couple simple notes and then give them back to the GM at the end of the session, that's something they can build off of later on.
3: It's helpful when I check my notes, if I don't find something to be able to go into your notes and go look for Jerry Jerry writes great notes. Yeah.
1: I, uh,
0: I have been able to go back and be like, cool. I know exactly what to do next session because of the notes and Jerry, that Jerry has written.
1: I've actually done, and we talked about this after last session. I sometimes take too many notes.
0: So you don't need to do it in our actual play game because we have them recorded. Yeah, There's no yeah. reason to take notes. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. There's a difference for, for that game. That's, that's, yeah. So people out there, you can take a bunch of notes if you want to, but there is the danger that you become distracted and not pay attention and not and interact with the
1: game. And that's what happens. Now, when I ran V&V my freshman year of college, I had players I didn't know were taking notes. And because three of them had never played a role-playing game in their life, they were just wandering around talking to people, asking questions. So I was making up entire sessions, dropping names in. You know, we're going to go look at, you know, we're going to look at, uh, you know, Man Man's Cellmates who are they? Um, and I'm just like giving names. And then two weeks into the game, one of my players hands me a notepad full of every character I'd mentioned, every description I had. And now I had more of the world to build on. And when we did have to have something happen, I could go back to one of the characters that we mentioned earlier and they all jumped on that. And that was useful to have just a list of names.
0: Does anybody else have anything to say about this before we get out of here? Because we we should probably get out of here. I think so.
3: I think briefly to wrap up, right? Like, There's so much you can prep, and then there's just things that are going to happen in play. Your prep is just kind of like your foundation for what's going to happen when you play. It's where you can fall back to when you're not sure about something. It's kind of like if you don't know which direction to go in as play is proceeding, it can kind of be your compass to point you in the right direction. But also what happens at the table still kind of takes precedence over that we might revisit this
0: topic in the future this is actually a fascinating topic i didn't even talk about what happens in my games from my prep to my play i never even got to it and that's okay we don't need to so we can come we can
3: definitely come back to it because i do think it's i always find it fascinating when i go look at my if i just look at my prep notes i don't always get a good feel for what happened in the game but if i go look at the index cards like from playing i'm like Oh yeah, because like something happened, I was prepping Aux uh, last night. There's something that happened at Aux that was not in any of the prep that I just made up during play, the reason why the Fab Lab turned on and started building something, Mm -hmm. that I fucking forgot about, right? I totally forgot about it until I looked at the index card from the last game and I was like... Oh, right, I was doing that. I don't even think we know what happened with that yet. You don't. And if I had fucking forgotten, it would have been lost. I have a theory uh, I mean, on figured, what happened. I figured Ox made
0: themselves an actual like biological body, but that's just me. <clears throat> but no, no, no. We'll find out.
3: It's, we'll uh, find out. But if I had forgotten it, right? If I didn't take my own notes during play or if I hadn't checked Jerry's notes to find out that it went on, I would have prepped the next game with no part of it, and then you guys would have been like, hey, what's going on in the Fab Lab? And I would have been like,
0: oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, good, good, we're done. That, that's enough for now. That get was prep savvy. first play, we're, we're leaving. And and as we leave, I have to say, man, man? Is that like some man that has oh, the grass, powers Jerry, of a man? Is that what we're doing that, here? Literally, literally, we have... Thank you for listening to Misdirected Mark Plays. Now let's do some Patreon channels before we get out of here. Let's start with the Royal Court. The Polish Ogre, who is our very own Polish Ogre. Ty Prunty, also known as Lord Timeonger, Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord out of time. Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus. Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress. J.T. Evans, the Queen's Librarian. Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth. Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies. John Carney, the Court Necromancer. Craig, the Lord of One Name. Tiberius Star Crash Smith, the Baron of Britannia. Eric Bontz, the Were-Gator. And Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Now, we have a bunch of other patrons that get a shout out here, too. Thank you so much. John, Chris Constantine, Miko Froelich, Eric Simon, Athelus, Not That Billy Mitchell, Fiona, Kathleen Halperin, Christopher Gamelk, Michael Beck Esperum, Joseph Noel, Carlos Hepdalema, Michael Draper, Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Radabaugh, Rory McLeod, Ninjabi, Richard Wyatt, Joseph Peralta,
4: Brian Kurtz, My Brett, not My Brett, but somebody's Brett, Chris Steele, Jared Rasher, Eileen Barnes, and Brandon Barnes. Thank you so much for being our patrons. If you'd like more content like this, you can check it out at misdirectedmark.com. If you're interested in supporting the show and other shows on Misdirected Mark Productions, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com MMP. You can get a whole bunch of stuff there, including... Extra bonus podcast episodes, material concerning this game, The Children of the Shroud, that includes character sheets, our game rules, some of our setting stuff, and Phil's thoughts from behind the screen. If that's not your thing, then you can just tell a friend about us. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, there are a variety of shows on our network. You can check out Pandas Talking Games with Phil and Senda, where they talk about all kinds of game stuff, the Gnomecast, where a bunch of gnomes get together to talk about gaming topics to avoid being thrown in the stew, and Thaco with Advantage, where Ange and Jared talk all about D&D. They're going to talk about it anyway, so why not record it? If that's still not enough content for you, we have a number of other podcasts that we recommend and are friends with. The Tabletop Bellhop, your board game concierge. The Knights of the Night, an excellent AP podcast. Mastering Dungeons, where they talk all about D&D if you want some more D&D stuff. And How to RPG with Sean P. Kelly. You can catch that on YouTube. He's live on Saturday mornings. I'm often in the chat room there. Well, this has been a Mr. mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.